Good morning, Crosswalk. It's so glad to be with you today, even though it's not in person, and I so miss seeing your faces here, but it's a joy to be with you online. Let's see who's watching with us today. We have Angela watching. We have Sarah, Delmar, Gail. We have uh, Bruce and Dave. Thank you guys so much for being here. If you don't know, I'm Randall Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Lover's Lane and Director of Missions and Outreach. And I'm going to be sharing with you today um, about the kingdom of God, or we're going to reframe it around a more inclusive word, the reign of God. We are continuing our series, Down by the River. This week we will be discussing how we, as the church, are called to bring about the reign of God here and now. Who is God calling us to be in the time of social unrest? How does the reign of God inform our lives when black bodies are still being slain? When queer people are still not at the table in the church? When hungry, when people are still going hungry? We are all crying out for hope. We are all crying out for justice. Our very beings are crying out for love. If you're like me, you really didn't know what the kingdom of God is or the reign of God. I was wondering what it was. I always heard it preached about, and I heard people talk about it. We even hear it in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom or reign come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is this reign or will? I love this explanation. Hear this. The reign of God brings about God's rule over creation, caring for people and creatures, bring about, bringing about divine purpose through them or on their behalf. Bringing about the divine purpose through them or on their behalf. You see, as Christians, we play a part in the fulfillment of God's purpose in the here and now. That is the reign of God. This happens when we seek to live our lives that are ruled by God and God's justice and peace in the world. In this week's scripture, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, if you'll turn there, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background, we see that Jesus is the foundation of the reign of God in which it is built upon. We read this text in light of the main three points at the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, which are everything past, present, and future all come to culmination in Jesus Christ. Jesus does not only give us hope of resurrection, that's the afterlife, but ability to do, the ability to experience the reign of God here and now but it may be only in part with its full culmination in eternity. The heart of this message is that the church, that's you and me, need to function in God's light and moral commitment, bring about the restorative purpose of God in Jesus Christ. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and all members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. If you know anything about building, you know that the cornerstone is the first stone laid. 
and it is by that stone that everything else is measured and aligned. It is also the building block. The building cannot be a building without the other stones. I want us to look at the cornerstone Jesus and how he is our example. The church is the continuation of his work on earth by his example. How can we be part of forming the reign of God here and now? I want us to look at forming the reign of God in three specific ways in relation to the political and social unrest. I want to tell you a story. My friend named Jay went to Las Vegas to visit one of his friends, and uh, while he was there, he didn't stay on the Strip. He stayed in a more affluent part um, of the city of Las Vegas. And one morning, he decided to get up and go get some breakfast somewhere else, not at the hotel. So when he did, he walked, was walking down the street that morning, and he got pulled over by a cop. The cop pulled him over and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going down here to the store to get something to eat. He said, where are you staying? My friend looks at him, and he goes, I'm staying in a hotel right there. Like, what's up? The cop asked him to present his uh, room key to the hotel. He asked him to present. After a few more questions, the cop let him go. You see, my friend Jay was stopped while walking while black. This may not seem that big of a deal to you, but after I heard his story, he told all the experience that he, experiences that he had been pulled out of a car, asked to explain himself and why he was there. Even to the point he had a new car once, and they asked him why he, how he could afford this new car. And then he also talked about all of the black people, his friends that he knew that had died at the hands of cops. This is not to disparage the police officers or to say that all cops are bad. That's not my point. But the point is the fact that black men are categorically considered Black men are categorically considered a threat. He was walking during the day. Like, I still don't get it. So what can we learn from the cornerstone of our faith, Jesus? Turning back to the text, we see Jesus was the cornerstone and by all things should be measured and aligned by him. Let's look at the story of the woman at the well and see what we can learn about Jesus bringing about the, God's reign here and now. So turning to John 4, 4, to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone ahead to the village to buy lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, said, How come you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? 
Are you better than the man our ancestors Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, and he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again. Anyone who drinks the water I will give will never thirst. Not ever. The water, water I give will be an artisan spring within gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. Won't ever, ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go, call your husband, and then come back. Wow. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands. The man you're living with now is not your, even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. She gets it. Then they continue on talking about true worship. And then the woman goes on to say, I don't know about that. What I do know, that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll see the whole story. I am he, Jesus said. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were thinking, but their face showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, Come and see a man who knew all things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah and that we could come to see? And then they came to see for themselves. Jesus actively listens. Let me give you a little background to this story. This woman was a Samaritan. The Samaritans were seen as second-class citizens. They were so looked down on that the Jewish people would totally avoid their village. When Jesus walked into the area of the Jacob's well, I can imagine them clutching their pearls, saying, What is he doing? This wasn't the only problem. She was also a woman. At that time in their culture, this was another strike against her. But look what Jesus did. He overlooked her culture, gender, race, and even the moral code that was stacked against her. Jesus lovingly interacted with her. I wonder what we could learn from Jesus. Our cornerstone, how to actively listen to people without preconceived notions or expectations. Jesus listened to her without prejudice. Returning to the story of Jay, I found out about this story because he had posted something on social media. I had to have the courage to ask him about this incident and be willing to hear the whole story without preconceived notions or ideas. Jay also had to be vulnerable enough to tell me his story which created a mutual respect and understanding. This mutual respect can only happen when we are vulnerable enough to ask the hard questions and be willing to listen. We've got to be willing to listen. Even though it was hard and uncomfortable, this conversation shed light on my friend's experiences. This would have not happened unless I would be ready to listen. Through this event, I was able to see into my friend's life and it allowed me to see the reason for his fear, the fear of police, the fear of social justice issues. It was only through this conversation that that could happen. 
I believe by active listening, like Jesus did, without prejudice, that we really hear what people are going through. Through actively listening, we can begin to build the reign of God here and now. Jesus extends grace. Turning back to John 4, we see that Jesus uses his own thirst to illuminate the woman's deeper thirst. In verse 13 through 14, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again, and anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst again. The water that I give will be an artisan spring within it will be gushing fountains of endless life. As we see in the scripture, Jesus is offering her living water, eternal life. We have to look back at the symbolism of water. Through the Hebrew scriptures, it is the sign of God's grace active and alive in their lives. This is the same way we see the waters of baptism. Through the offer of living water, Jesus is offering grace to the outsider. Breaking the lines between male and female, we see that Jesus extends his grace to persons that are not from the chosen people. The culture of the time said she was actually rejected, but God extended God's grace to people that religion said weren't worthy. God's grace is extended to everyone. Then Jesus asked her about her husband. Oh no, is he about to call her out? Or is he? Don't get it twisted. This, this is not a question about morality, but is a question that shows that Jesus Christ was a prophet. Jesus knew exactly who she was. This act shows also shows that her, uh, he recognizes uh, that she is a real person and that she recognizes that he is the prophet, the promised one. When we look at the story, we see that her mind was illuminated. Because of his question, she wonders if this indeed is the Messiah, the promised one. I wonder if we, when we read this story from this viewpoint, that we can see the woman as the smart one that knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Then he discerns a deeper need in her life. Jesus extends grace that springs forth to eternal life. D the deeper need of the soul, soul, not morality. What I mean is that we don't bring our own biases to the table when we ask questions. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a fixer. I want to fix everything, but I bring my own biases to that. I think that I can do it better, or I can do, or I have the right answers, or whatever. Perhaps you are the same way. We see things that need a change, and we do, and we say, hey, we tell people about them. You see, you did this and you did that. It is almost like victim shaming. So through that, we can almost be victim shaming. Unlike us, Jesus looks below the surface level to see the heart and extends grace that allows him to discern God's will in that situation. I wonder what would happen if we discerned God's will and extended God's grace to people that aren't like us, trumpers or rioters. I think about people posting on social media disparaging comments or words for people that they don't agree with. 
I think about the stuff posted about Trump or the Democrats, whichever side you're on. We are no better if we act the same way as the opposition. We are called to extend grace to all people, whether we agree with their life, political opinion, opinion or even gender. We are called to ex uh, extend grace to everyone. Our response is to act. We see our cornerstone Jesus give the example by first moving towards the Samaritan village when most people would have gone around. They didn't want to get involved, but Jesus extended grace to them by moving towards them. And approaching the woman and asking for something to drink, he extended this living hope to her. We see how he acted. We are also called to act. We see the same call to action in our baptismal covenant. I know many of you were not baptized in the Methodist church, but one of our sacraments is baptism. During baptism, we recite a covenant that we make before God and the gathered community. And it goes like this. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? And the person responds, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? The person replies, I do. Then the community responds, will you nurture one another in Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? The community responds, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. Will you pray for them and that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? We see this call to action in our baptismal covenant. It says, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression? However, church, however they present themselves, it says right here to resist by living out our baptismal covenant, God calls us to action. Through this, we are building God's reign in the world one stone at a time. The other thing is that this is not a privatized faith. Our faith calls us to action in the gathered community that's here and also in the world on behalf of others. We are agreeing to be faithful in service to one another even to the people that can't speak for themselves. Representative uh, John Lewis, who died last week, summed this up very well. He said, when you see an injustice, you have a moral obligation, a moral obligation to say something or do something. Church, we're called to say something or do something. We are called to act. I wonder what would happen if we started living by listening, extending grace, and acting. 
Would we see more of God's justice and peace in the world? I love at the end of the story of the Samaritan woman because she experienced God incarnate who came near, listened, extended grace, and acted. She had a life-transforming experience. She goes out and proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Samaritans came back and saw for themselves that Jesus was the Christ. Wow, what an evangelist. The Eastern Church believes this is the first example of a woman in ministry. She spoke to her own area of influence. She may have been calling out, speaking out in protest, or maybe she was voting on behalf of those that don't have a voice, or maybe she was feeding the hungry. But whatever she was called to do, she is surely called to bear witness to who God reveals God's self to her, and also those at the margins. She was one of those people. Will you put on your white robe and wade into the water with the cornerstone of your faith? Will you align your life with the cornerstone Jesus by listening, extending grace, and acting? If so, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will build the reign of God one stone at a time. Amen. Let us pray. God, Will you continue to illuminate our lives so that we can become the church that brings about your reign in the world in the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.